0: morning. You know, one of my favorite rock bands of all time is none other than rock band known as The Beatles. And uh, if you don't know The Beatles, it would only take one song for you to listen to to realize that they lived during the hippie era. So when it's all about love and peace and about freedom of speech and what and that's what their songs were all about But one of their songs one of their more popular songs is a song called all you need is love and Within this song it's a very catchy song and within the lyrics of the song There's this this phrase that's repeated throughout the song and this phrase talking about love is It's easy right and you know, some people thought it was a revolutionary song, that uh, this song would, would change music in the future. But this concept of love being easy wasn't something that just the Beatles mentioned in their songs. It was also, there's also a band called McFly. In 2012, they released uh, a song called Love is Easy, and in their song, It says, about love, a simple equation with no complications to leave you confused. If this is love, well, it's the easiest thing to do. It's the easiest thing to do. And you know what's ironic is that this band, a couple years later, broke up because there was some problems with jealousy issues within the band. (laughs) And so that leads us to ask the question, is love really easy is love actually something so simple that you can just sing it in a song and people can just switch it on like they do a light switch well we can obviously say no of course not love is not easy love is is hard because if it was easy there'd be no hatred there'd be no anger or division which is what we see as soon as we turn on the television isn't that right Love is difficult. Love is hard. And you see, the problem is that people think love is just this warm, tingly feeling that they get inside, which is why we get the phrase, love at first sight, which we know is absolutely false. Right? There is no love at first sight. People think they have love uh, down to a science, and, and they think that all they have to do is, is think about it or turn it on like a light switch. But that's not the case. Love is hard. Love is difficult. And let's see what the Bible says about love in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19. The Scriptures say, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Notice what Paul is saying here. The love of Christ surpasses knowledge. You know, it took 400,000 men to get man on the moon for the first time in Apollo 11. It took 400,000 people to design a computer with the computing power of less than a calculator that sent man to the moon and back safely. Within those 400,000 people that worked on that mission, there were a lot of scientists and engineers and physicists and people who went to school for years to have this knowledge. And yet, this love, this love of Christ, this love of God surpasses this knowledge. You can't even, not even Albert Einstein or, or King Solomon himself could begin to wrap their minds around the concept which is the love of Christ. But guess what? God says in that love, you have to grow in it. In that love, that love you have to practice it. You have to share it. You have to give that love to other people this love that surpasses knowledge. Seems almost like an impossible task. So the question is, how are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to practice or have this love that surpasses knowledge? Well, I think first we have to define what love is. And you know, there's lots of different definitions of love in the dictionaries. We can think about the verse, uh, the chapter in 1 Corinthians, right? Chapter 13, which we know is the chapter about love. And it's a great description about love. We can talk about how uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We could talk about so many other different things. I think sometimes we get too bogged down on what the Greek word for love is in certain verses. For example, when, when Jesus asked Peter three different occasions if he loved him, sometimes I think we get too bogged down on what type of love Peter and, and Jesus is using when I think the main point or the main idea of that story is that Peter had just denied Jesus three different times and here he is confessing or confirming his love. Three times and we know that because John says that Peter cried because it was the third time that Jesus had asked him that question and so rather than focusing on what types of love what Greek word why don't we actually look at Scripture from beginning to end Genesis to Revelation in sort of a panoramic view and see that there's this common love spread throughout Scripture that there is this one Godly love that we see throughout the entire Scripture. And I think that is the love that surpasses knowledge. That is the love that we should grow in, that we should practice. But the best definition for love, I believe, is found here in 1 John chapter 4, and verse 8, where it says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, John isn't saying here that love is the God that we should worship. Absolutely not. But what I think he's saying here is God is the very definition of what love is or what love should be. There is no love without God. And so every time I preach about love or you preach about love to someone else, what you're actually doing is preaching about God. Every time you, you show love to someone, you're actually showing God to them. Every time someone preaches or shows you love, they are showing you God. right? If it's the godly love. And we can say the opposite as well. If God is not in that love, then is it really love at all? We see lots of people commit sexual immorality. And they say they do it because of Love. Well, if God isn't in that love, is it really love at all? Because God is love. Or if a parent decides not to discipline their child because they don't want to hurt them and they say they do it out of love, is that really love at all? Because God is not in that love and God is love. And so, God is love and love does not exist. Without God in it. And so, we should ask the question how do we grow in a love that surpasses knowledge? Is it possible? Well, it is possible. God wants us to grow in this love, He wants us to have this love of Christ that surpasses all understanding. And so, let's start by recognizing that every time, or a lot of the times where love is used in the New Testament, the word understanding or the concept of of knowledge is used in the context. So I think to, to begin to grow in this love, we have to begin first to try and understand it better. And so that's the goal this morning, to try and understand a little bit more about what this love that surpasses knowledge really is. So let's start by going to the very first time in Scripture where the word love is used. Do you guys know where that is? I know some people know where the very first time that love is used in the Bible. And well, that is found in Genesis chapter 22. And this is where God comes to Abraham in a dream and tells him, in verse 2, he says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So, notice how it's chapter 22 of Genesis. There were 21 chapters previously that God could have used the word love for the first time very easily, but he didn't. He decided to use it here for the very first time. And you know, this might not have any significance. It might just be a total coincidence, but I think there is actually a reason for this and that there's, there's a meaning, a purpose behind it. I'd like to quickly mention that I don't usually cry in movies or in plays or when you read when I read sad books or anything like that. It's very difficult for me to to shed a tear. However, there are a couple of movies that have actually made me shed a tear. And one of those movies is a movie called A Quiet Place. Now, uh, some of you may have seen this movie, but basically this movie takes place on Earth, and it's, a, it's been invaded by aliens. And there's this family that lives in, in uh, the United States. And the thing about these aliens is that they are attracted to sound, to noise. And so, the, as the title suggests, the entire movie is basically quiet. In the entire movie, everyone is communicating with sign language, trying to avoid the aliens and well towards the end of this movie uh, the kids of this family a boy and a girl are being chased by this alien and they're running away from it and they end up hiding inside an old truck well this alien comes up and, and reaches them and and he's trying to get inside the truck and and the kids are just afraid and and just waiting for the inevitable and then in the background you see the dad, who had just been injured, getting himself up with the help of an axe, and, and then he just lets out the biggest scream he's ever, ever let out in his life. Well, obviously to deter the, the attention of the alien to himself and give the opportunity for his kids to escape. And the following scene is the one that actually made me cry. It's of the father telling his daughter, I love you, I've always loved you, right before the alien takes his life and the kids run away to safety. And so it was this act of of sacrifice, this act of love that made me shed this this tear. But now if you think about the story of Abraham and Isaac, it wasn't Abraham sacrificing himself for, for his son Isaac. It was Abraham sacrificing his son for the Lord. And although he didn't do, that, do it in the end because the angel of the Lord stopped him, the willingness was still there. And so I think the reason why the word love is used here for the very first time in Scripture is to let us know that love is fundamentally rooted in sacrifice. Love is fundamentally rooted in in sacrifice just like there is no love without God there's also no love without sacrifice and so we have to ask the question what do we sacrifice for the ones that we love we sacrifice time maybe we sacrifice money maybe we Sacrifice financial stability, even. Maybe we sacrifice sleep to hear out a conversation that someone is in need. Maybe we, we sacrifice our personal time, our quiet time. But love is about sacrifice because it's fundamentally rooted in sacrifice. So let's go to John chapter 15 and verse 13. In John chapter 15 and verse 13, listen to what Jesus says. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Did you catch that? It's almost as if Jesus is saying, if you want to reach the highest level of love possible in this life for man, you have to be willing to give up your life. You have to be willing to sacrifice your life for your friends. Now, the question is, who who are our friends? Well, Jesus says, my friends are those who obey my commandments. And so, we're friends. We're all friends in here. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, those who do the will of the Lord, those are our friends. And so we should be willing to give our life, to sacrifice our life for our brethren. And that is what Jesus says, no one has greater love than this. And so, we think about some Christians in the New Testament, that have actually given the sacra- or risked their life for other Christians. Now, this, these verses are not going to be on screen, so if you would turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 and verse 4, we read about Priscilla and Aquila. And it says about them who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. So here are two brethren, brother and sister. Risking their lives to help Paul in his needs. All right. Don't you think they are practicing the love that Jesus was talking about? If we also go to a different verse in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 30, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 30, Paul says, talking about uh, Epaphroditus. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Right. So here we have three Christians mentioned in the New Testament who risked their lives, who knows how, how they did it, Right. what they did exactly to have risked their lives, but we know Paul was in some serious situations sometimes, We know that he was uh, a lot of times in in prison and uh, with constant friction with the Romans and Jewish leaders. But these Christians were willing to risk their lives to help Paul in his time of need. And that shows that, first of all, love is fundamentally rooted in sacrifice. But that also... Love includes an understanding that my life is not my own. Right? My life, my life doesn't belong to me, right? It belongs to all my brothers and sisters in Christ. My life belongs to God. It belongs to everyone except, except me. Right? I'm the last person my life belongs to. And so this is something we have to understand in order to fully understand this love that surpasses knowledge. Now we have to think also, would I be willing to give my life for my brother and my sister, the, per- the person sitting next to me or in front of me or behind me? And we might say to ourselves, yeah, I think I could give my life for my brother or my sister. I mean, I, I love them, Right? But you know, it doesn't doesn't become reality until it actually happens, right? And so, how do I know that in that moment, when it actually comes, how do I know that I will actually be willing to give my life for my brother or for my sister? Well, I think it's by knowing that I give the lesser things in life for them. Remember what Jesus says, he who is faithful in little is faithful in much. So in other words, if I am willing to sacrifice my time, my energy, my money, my food, my sleep time, my financial stability, the lesser things in life, then I will surely be willing to give such a great thing like my life. Because love includes an understanding that my life is not my own. The things that I have in my life, they're not mine. They're for other people. For everyone except myself. And so we have to be willing to sacrifice even our life for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now we live in a country where, thankfully, we're not persecuted yet in the same way as the New Testament Christians were, there are plenty of other countries like China or some other countries where even the sight of a Bible can be condemned with life. And so these Christians continue to worship God, continue to risk their lives for each other in these situations. But there's one more thing that we have to understand and that we have to discuss. And so let's go to now the last time that the Bible talks about love. The last time the word love is mentioned in the Bible is in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19. And here Jesus says. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. You know, for this being the last time that God uses the word love in Scripture, it's kind of, you know, a little bit darker, a little bit, you know, not what I was expecting. I would have expected something more along the lines of God, love God and God will love you. Something like that, on a more positive note. But instead, God decides to use love for the last time in Scripture to say that those that He loves, He reproves and disciplines. Now again, this might not have any significance. This might just be a simple coincidence, or I think, I believe, that this has a deeper meaning to it and we'll see what it is exactly but first I wanna ask how many of us raise your hand if you want to go to hell okay good well how many of you wouldn't mind going to hell Okay, none of and you might be asking you know what kinda of question is that Andy and you're right none of us want to go to hell right? none of us want to suffer in fact that's why we came to Christ so that we won't have to suffer the consequences of our sins. That's why Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins, so that we have that opportunity of salvation, so that we wouldn't have to go to hell. Now, with that in mind, let's go to Romans, chapter nine, and verse three. Romans chapter nine and verse three. Now, just what Paul says here: For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You know what Paul is saying here? Paul here is talking about his Jewish brothers in the flesh, right? He loves these people. They're his family. He loves his family and he loves them so much. Now, what does he say? I'd be willing to be cut off from Christ. I'd be willing to go to hell, basically, is what Paul is saying, as long as my brothers and sisters are saved. Right. Now, let me mention quickly that this is not a possible, you know, this is not something possible, right, what Paul here is wishing. This reminds me of what Moses wanted as well when he was out in the wilderness and the, the people sinned. And, and here Moses was uh, talking to God and, and interceding for the people and he said, God, take me out of, out of the book of life but save your people. Right? And God says, no, the person, the soul that sins, that's the person. That's the soul that will pay And so obviously what Paul wants here, what Paul wishes here is not possible, but the willingness is still there. You see, basically what Paul is saying here is their soul is more important than my soul. Their salvation is more important than my salvation. And so I think what you have to understand is that love cares deeply, deeply for the soul. And just like love requires God to be in it, and just like love requires sacrifice to be in it, and just like love requires an understanding that our life is not our own, we also have to understand that it's all about the soul when it comes to love. And that's why... Again, we talk about people who say that they perform some type of sexual immorality because of love. Well, they're not caring for the soul. They're just giving in to temptation, into pleasures and desires. That's, when, that's why when a parent decides not to discipline their child because of love, that's not really love because it, they're not caring for the soul. They're just caring about themselves. Because love, love cares deeply, deeply for the soul. You know, no one wants to go to hell. I'm sure Paul didn't want to go to hell either, but he was willing to do that for his brothers and sisters in Christ. But you know what that actually means for Paul specifically? You know how much he had to go through for Christ? You know how, much, how many times that he went and was imprisoned or was beaten or was whipped, or was stoned, or was in in situations of, of danger and shipwrecks and all these different things that Paul had to go through for Christ, for the preaching of the Gospel, and yet he was willing to put that all away. He was willing to give that all up as if it was for nothing, just so that his brothers and sisters could be saved. And you see, that's a lesson for each one of us. That if we don't care for the soul, and we are not practicing this love that surpasses all understanding, which is the love we should be growing in. And so, if we want to be better, husbands or wives or friends or brothers or sisters or or whatever you want, whatever relationship, if you want to be better at it, start by caring for their souls. Start by caring for your family, for your friends, for your neighbor's soul. Because that's what, that's what it's all about. It's not this tingly, warm feeling we get inside. It's much more than that. It's love is hard. Love is difficult. Especially when we consider that Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself and also love your enemies. Isn't that right? So everything we've been talking about also applies to our neighbors and even to our enemies. Not that we consider them our enemies. It's because they consider us their enemies because of the Gospel, because of what we represent. But even them, even them we're supposed to love. Now, I had someone take this interpret this the wrong way and said, well, that's why I'm joining the military because then I'll be dying for everyone. But that, that's, not the, that's not the point here. The point here is what, I, what, what would it do if I gave my life for a random person if I'm not doing anything for their soul? This is about sacrificing your love and everything you have, your life and everything you have in your life for their soul, right? Because that's ultimately what love is. And so if I have to risk my life in order to preach the gospel, risk my life trying to, to uh, have some a Bible study or somewhere in, in a dangerous place, in a dangerous situation, whatever it may be, that is the true love because you care about the soul. And love cares deeply for the soul. Brothers and sisters, this is a love that surpasses knowledge. It's a love that surpasses all understanding. And, you know, it may seem like an impossible task, it may seem like something that's far and something that we can't really grasp completely, which we will never fully grasp or understand this love. But God wants us to grow in it, to get closer and closer and closer to this love that Christ had. Because ultimately, Christ is that epitomal example of this love. Because He left everything He had. He sacrificed His glory up in heaven to come down to earth. To live in such a lowly manner. To be ridiculed and humiliated and ultimately killed on the cross. For not only the apostles and His mother and His, and his friends and His followers, but also the very same people who were hanging Him on the cross. And that is a love that surpasses knowledge that we will never fully grasp or understand, and yet we have to grow in that love. And God calls us to know this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so if you're visiting with us tonight, first of all we thank you for being here you've made a great decision there's hundred different things you could have been doing right now but you decided to be here and with a good reason because the Lord is calling we wanna let you know that we love you that we love you we care for your soul deeply and we invite you to come to the kingdom to the body of Christ all you have to do is come forward and confess that Jesus is the Son of God and that you want to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And by doing so, be baptized in the name of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. Thank you for your time, and uh, let's stand and let's sing.